Welcome to Tall, Dark, and Fictional, a podcast about romance fiction by romance writers. I'm Beatrix. And I'm Kat. For today, we have Ruby Barrett, a fellow rom-com writer, and we talk about her debut novel, Hot Copy, her writing process, her horse girl recovery, lots of good stuff. She was awesome. Definitely a great time. But sadly, I was not partaking in this episode because I was struck down by lightning, aka a two-week migraine that I'm still suffering from. But I did listen to the episode with Ruby, and it's fantastic. And I can't wait until we get Ruby back on when I am half alive again. That would be great. So, Ruby, we hope you agree to. I talk do apologize with us one more time. <laughs> uh, and before we get on with it, I just want to really politely remind everyone that my debut novel, Partner Track, is now available for pre-order. You can get it in all kinds of places. Check our notes for a link. Uh, you can also check our Instagram for the link. And Beatrix is going to read the blurb. Partner Track by Cat Wynn, everybody. Hello. This is a great. This is a great tagline. Making a case for love has never been so complicated in this fresh, funny, rivals-to-lover romance. Purdy Stone needs just three things in life, her forever best friend Lucille, their adorable rescue pug Bananas, and last but not least, a coveted partnership at her Charleston law firm. A partnership she more than deserves when she goes head-to-head with hotshot Ivy League attorney Carter Leflin <laughs> on a big case and comes out on top. She didn't think anything would feel better than beating the annoyingly gorgeous lawyer at his own game. But that's before a freak storm leaves them both stranded together in the last hotel room with only one bed. It's a one night stand Purdy isn't soon to forget, especially after Carter turns up at her firm and slides right into the job that should have been hers and right back into her life, a life she thought she had all figured out. Pre-order today! Pre-order today! All right, let's get on with the episode. Enjoy, Ruby. She was awesome. Oh, and go check us out on our socials. Find us on Instagram at Tall Dark Fictional with no Anne and Twitter at TDFPod. You can find me, Beatrix, at Beatrix Strand on IG and Twitter. And you can find me, I'm Kat, at Catwin Author on most platforms, C-A-T-W-Y-N-N. There you go. <laughs> Have fun. That's All it. All right, go listen. Go. Go. Bye. Have you done a podcast before? I did one with Sarah Fisk. Sarah Fisk. I think that's their last name. They're a lit agent now, but they used to run like a lot of like the communication for Pitch Wars, which is how I know them. And they they have a podcast called Queries, Qualms, and Quirks. Ooh, okay. So, so I did up. one with them. Yeah, it's it's pretty good. Do you want to give the listeners a little information about who you are and what you write? Sure. My name is Ruby Barrett, and I write contemporary romance. I love Harry Styles. Oh my god, me too. And <laughs> I love just telling stories and like the craft of storytelling whether that's like in a podcast or on television or in movies or whatever but I obviously led myself more to romance books I have a daughter and a husband and I live with them in Ottawa Canada and when I'm not writing or reading romance I'm lifting weights or I'm cooking or baking and that's about it wow things I know nothing about (laughs) Now, you said you write contemporary. Do you consider what you write rom-coms specifically? (laughs) Or is it just across the board? So I think our genre is still trying to figure out what rom-com means, right? True. Because a lot of stuff ain't funny. Yeah. (laughs) That's what I'll say. Yeah, a lot of times, like, you're reading something that's supposed to be a rom-com, and you're like, oh, this is very heavy. That was actually something that I was really wary of with hot copy, because hot copy for anyone who hasn't read it does deal with like some heavy themes of like grief and cancer and it's also dealing with workplace sexual harassment there's an examination of of power dynamics in that book and while there are funny parts of the book those funny parts are not what is driving the story and to me that's what a rom-com should be and you know until until a sort of like higher power within our community can like come up with a different kind of definition. That's how I'm going to choose to define rom-com because I think that's something that we're all grappling with and trying to come to terms with in the last few years. It's like, what makes a rom-com? We just slap that name on or that title on a book without really thinking about what it is. So I would consider myself a contemporary romance author 
and not a rom-com author. I agree with what you're saying. I also see another side of this because when I was reading your book, I did think it was a rom-com. <laughs> cool. Also, it is contemporary, <laughs> but for different reasons. And I hear what you're saying about comedy having to drive the story. But to me, the energy of the book, and this is such a vague way to describe it, but there's no other way. The energy of the book gives, right, of course, gives me like 1980s when Harry met Sally. <laughs> it gives me fall yeah. time. It gives me baseball outside. It gives me like a bumbling tall guy who just grew into his body and his socks are funny. And to me, those are all really strong elements of rom-com that if I was going to make this into a movie, that's how it would have to be. But I also agree with what you're saying. And my take on this is fluid. Well, I think that's the thing though, right? Is like until another like higher you know, decision-making body within our genre. Like, we don't really have that. But, like, to me, a rom-com isn't for the writer to define. It's for the reader to define. Because, like you said, you thought it was a rom-com. When you you describe it like that, I absolutely see that. And what, especially when you talk about, like, if we were going to make this into a movie, those would absolutely be the threads that you pulled up to you know present on screen and you could present it as a rom-com on screen but not to get too like philosophical (laughs) (laughs) well there are no right answers here but it's just like to me it's like it's a piece of art and once it's once it's out of my hands it's no longer up for me to decide I've decided it's not a rom-com and that's what I've decided but like if the reader wants to decide it's a rom-com then sweet I'm glad you thought it was funny. The other thing I was going to say to you, because I messaged you about this like months <laughs> ago, because you're you're like my book sister, yeah. because my debut novel has a teaser for, in Hot Copy is your debut, right? Yes, it is. Right? Yeah. Okay. So my debut novel has your debut novel yeah. as a teaser. And I hadn't read your book at the time when I first saw it, because I was like deep into like edits and writing. And now I'm like, oh, I totally understand why they did this. Because even though our styles and our stories are obviously very different, we're two different people, the tropes are like identical, like down the line, just like bam, 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 bam. And it's like so funny to see how the execution of tropes is so different for everyone. And it's such like quintessential romance, you know what I mean? It's like the thing that people love to harp on. And I think there's been some, you know, discourse on the Twitter machine lately about romance being boring and predictable and it's like no it's like two people can take the exact same premise and make it completely different which is again not just for romance it's stories in general everything whoever says that is just dumb (laughs) (laughs) i want to ask you some more general questions as we go about just like your writing and everything but let me ask you a few specific questions about hot copy which is one thing i found really interesting is that to me Wes is the main character Mm -hmm. of this book. It's not Corinne. And even though they both have full and complete story arcs, Wes is the one that I think we we all sympathize with. He's the one with less power in the situation. Mm -hmm. And he's your opener. And he's just kind of like the more lovable, like classically lovable of the two. I thought it was an interesting choice because I don't think I normally see the male character in a straight romance taking on that role. It actually started off as just Wes's story. There was no Corinne POV. This is like we're talking like years ago. Like I think I started writing this in like 2016. And listeners should know that's how it that's how it yes. goes when you write a book. <laughs> I'm I'm working on revisions for a book right now that I started in 2012. Wow. So, anyways, it, we'll get into a discussion about you know like maturing into your stories later. But sure, so sure. 2016, I started writing that book or started writing what would eventually become hot copy, and it was. Wes's POV and at the time and actually you know to talk about maturing into your your story I can't describe it as any other way other than like Corinne's voice was not speaking to me whereas Wesley's voice was so I was like at the time just like okay I'm just gonna write his POV and there was precedent for it like and I feel like in around like the 2012 2013 2014 time there was books like Tangled by Emma Chase that's what I was thinking of yep and like Mm -hmm. a couple other books where you had like just the male POV of a story. Mm -hmm. So I was like, well, you know, and again, like I didn't really know much about comps at the time. So I was like, it exists so it can be a comp. But also like do your thing, right? Yes. Like do your thing. Like like, do do your art, do your art. (laughs) Do what what speaks to you. Yeah. 
so I did it. I, I wrote the book, queried it. You know, I had a little bit of interest in the queries and by a little bit, like a little bit, but, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, it, it was getting no's. And obviously in the, in the query trenches, you're not really getting feedback on why. And then I submitted it into Pitch Wars. And one of the people that I submitted to was Helen Huang, who wrote the Kiss Quotient and the Bright Test mm-hmm. and the Heart Principle. And um, she picked me. And then, like, once I scraped myself off the floor from that shock. Uh, <laughs> That's, I love her. She, she, I love her writing. Love yeah, her. she, like, floors me with the way that she can just rip your heart apart and then put it yeah. back together. But yeah, so one of the first things she said to me was, I think we need Corinne's POV because we are telling a story about someone being sexually harassed, but we're not hearing their point of view on it. And I was like, it was like you hit me upside the head with like a feminism two by four, because I was like, how did I not like, I consider myself a feminist and I didn't see that I was like not giving that character a voice like what you were literally silencing the woman of (laughs) oh my god it happens in writing (laughs) so I was like yeah you are right so um my entire pictures experience was essentially just like inserting Corinne that had to be hard oh my god I I don't remember I don't remember what what happened so all this to say I think one of the reasons that Wesley does come across and because I I I think of it more as Wesley's story I think when I think about the book so I think part of the the reason it comes across like that is because it started out as Wesley's story Mm -hmm. and then I think the other part is what you you touched on is that he's a lovable character and it was like a hard balance to find because it's really easy to let him go into like this puppy dog goofy yes like sort of having like almost no agency um just kind of following her around sometimes he would kind of give me the same vibes as you know in the 2005 version of pride and prejudice how mr bingley at one point they're at the ball and mr bingley is like literally just like touching jane's ribbon and like following her around that's somehow that's sometimes the vibes that wesley had in like earlier not so sexy not yeah exactly like he needs a little bit more backbone the better yeah. to screw you with my dear like exactly. yeah the better hold you up <laughs> yes <laughs> i obviously don't want to speak for all readers and say that you know all readers want that and stuff but speak for yourself i thank you but i will say that that is exactly the type of hero that I love. Beta is not the right word. Caretaker. Caretaker. Thank you. And that's truly what he is. So I was literally just writing like, who do I want? And again, it's not to take away anything from Corinne because I really love her. Corinne is like the the person that I wish I was because she's like really tough on the outside and like soft on the inside. And I wish I could be tougher. I wish I could not show my emotions or cry all the time. You are Wesley. In this. <laughs> I'm Wesley in this but you know, it's not to take away from her. It's just that I think that it's, it really ends up being his story for that reason. He's kind of like the ingenue. I was just going to say, I actually wrote this down. So <laughs> I said that Wesley is like an inverted ingenue. Yes character type or trope and actually like both of them are pretty strong archetypes that I can very clearly see like you have to kind of foil characters against each other like you can't write two of the same leads really or maybe someone has and I just haven't seen that but I mean they have to have conflict within their personalities so that's just gotta happen but I definitely was thinking like you know that one Michael J. Fox movie He's like younger and he's sleeping with the boss. It's from the eighties. No. Anyway, that's that what I was thinking of. Right, it. but it, but it, I did think of that, and you know, I haven't seen it in a long time. So if it's like an offensive comp, right. I'm sorry, but I don't know. But like Michael J. Fox vibes, that kind yes, of thing. Yeah. But I was thinking of how he is kind of a, a new take on an ingenue, like the the assistant, mm-hmm. the younger like woman in the office is what it usually is, mm-hmm. and the older man. And there is a slight age gap yes. in this as well, which contributes to a power dynamic situation happening. Mm-hmm. And you can tell me what you think about this, because I have a the same thing in my book. I have an, like an age gap where the woman is older. And I did that because I feel like automatically 
men, even if they're younger than you, have more power in most situations? I mean, it comes down to even like a physical power dynamic, right? Yes, Wesley has less power in that relationship. But as we can sort of see, like using sort of Corinne's own past examples, like spoilers for hot copy. We do spoil every book. Okay, <laughs> so people know, people know to expect. Yeah, they should know at least. <laughs> but you know, she she's been in a position of power over someone before and they still subverted that power with wildly inappropriate comments that made her feel unsafe. So like there's still that power play there. So no matter, right. so there that was just like an intentional move to just sort of like fill the gap in between them. Exactly. Exactly. I would like to tell you a few things. Okay. Do you want to know my cry points? Yes. In the book. Okay. <laughs> It's all towards the end because I feel like that's when your biggest cry yeah, points are. Yeah, it gets up there. Actually, no. No, I had it before that cry point. Here we go. Page 64, mm -hmm. when they first have their discussion about her mom and his mom right. and they're in the office and he asks her name. He asks what her right. mom's name was. Cry point for me. <laughs> I also cried when he shows up at her house, but not when he shows up at her house, but later when she realizes that he shows up for her and that's what she needed. Mm -hmm. So I cried at that. And then like in Minnesota right. at her yes. house. Let's see, page 296, it said I cried also because she was she was talking about her mother to him. Mm -hmm. and, and she was like, I'm sorry, I can't believe I'm talking about this to you. And he's like, it's okay, you're allowed to. I love when people validate feelings that always will make me cry. <laughs> I'm convinced that none of my writing will make people cry. So I'm curious if that'll ever happen, I'm, but we'll see. <laughs> well, but I mean, like, that's the thing, though, is you you don't know the things that are going to make people cry. So. Right. You don't know. <laughs> like, this was one. This was a big one for me. And I liked your um, closing of the loop with the mother swearing at the end and then t giving Corinne advice cry point on that as well. Yeah. <laughs> And I do resent it. I don't want to cry when I read a book. I hate it. And I cry all the time now. <laughs> I cry like a baby. But at least those cry points make sense. Yeah, those cry points are all like, like, I'm not saying I was hoping you would cry at those, those points, but I'm not Of course you are hoping people would like... <laughs> that, like, they were highly emotional moments. Right. So. <laughs> yeah. So what inspired you to write this book? Let's ask the big question. So it started with a tweet from, I followed this literary agent because I had been querying another book before this. And what I, the way I did my research was, agents probably thought I was so creepy because I literally just, my entire Twitter feed was just agents I followed. <laughs> just follow, 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 follow. They probably were like, who is this chick? So I followed this agent and she did one of those things called 100 queries where she will just like, give like a yeah. tweet about a query she read. And one of them was essentially, she passed on this query. It was a contemporary romance. And the reason she passed was because it was a male executive and a female intern. And she was like, I'm just kind of tired of hearing about that story. I want to hear about the lady bosses. So it's funny because I took that and it was like, oh yeah, like I'm going to write a male intern and a, a, a woman boss. But then I, as you know, didn't <laughs> you had a ways to go before. <laughs> before I could get there but that's essentially like how it started and it was sort of just like a little plot bunny for me right like oh like yeah. here's an idea the first scene that came to mind was the actual first scene of the book where he's like starting his first day of work and he's nervous and I was trying to like sort of figure out why and so yeah so that was sort of the the plot bunny part and then I think that we can all probably say that we've experienced uh, harassment in the workplace, unfortunately, yeah. and especially too, because at that time, Me Too was a big movement. Cresting. Yes, exactly. And so it was like coming at me from over here on the news. And then I was like, oh, I could, that makes sense. There's a connection. And I thought, okay, well, I, I know how to speak to this. You're like, LOL, we've all been sexually harassed. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's just our lives. That's just our lives. <laughs> so I put that in there because I thought this is relatable. And then just in terms of dealing with the grief and parents and loss and all that stuff, I had been dealing with grief, not with, you know, I hadn't lost a parent, but I had was dealing with just other types of grief in my life. And it helped to unpack having that parallel of some someone who has lost something. And I had also lost something 
and maybe they weren't the same things, but it's that same sort of feeling of you are coming out of the grief hole and you're like, now what? Mm -hmm. And trying to like figure out who you are now when you've had this like completely life altering experience. So that was a big factor in sort of giving him that storyline. And because that was that was me sort of figuring out who I am now, too. Another thing about writing storylines about grief and parents dying in particular is I think we all can always feel, especially when you like hit your 30s, the inevitability Mm -hmm. of the end of life Mm -hmm. just creeping up on you. Even with small things, I haven't lost a parent either, but even when my dog died, who I'd had for 13 years, it was like, that was a part of my identity Mm -hmm. that I lost. And like you're saying, like later on, you're like, who am I without this part of myself is just a really big question. And I do think Wesley kind of goes through that journey as well. Mm -hmm. Like he has his sister, but then he kind of has to separate from her. He has to like individuate in his own way. Although I did like their relationship together. I felt like it's nice to have um, siblings (laughs) on the screen that like each other on the screen, on the page that like each other. I do like that kind of dynamic. And like definitely for people reading this book, always content warnings on things like that. Let me ask you some more general questions. How did you start? Now you're a romance reader, Mm -hmm. right? I assume yes. since you read it, how did you start reading? How did you start reading romance? I always feel like a little bit of an imposter because I know so many romance writers started reading romance when they were like, you know, twelve years old, and they like yeah. stole their mom's like Harlequins right. or secretly got them from the library and stuff. And I didn't start reading romance until after I got married. Actually, I had been a huge reader as a child, and then just like you know, school and stuff and fell out of it and then graduated had a master's degree was completely like over skilled over trained but <laughs> had no yeah, experience sure, of couldn't find a job anywhere it started with so game of thrones so game of thrones was really big and i started reading game of thrones and the part that i liked the most about game of thrones was any time well anytime there was consensual sex <laughs> or, or any time sure. there was like romance so like the jamie and the tall lady not his sister. That part I really love. And then my friend was like, oh, like there's this book called The Hunger Games that you should read. Gateway. Yeah, like the only thing I was like, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like this is obviously like a big allegory for reality television and blah, blah, blah. But when are Peta and Kat? Oh, I thought it was fascism. Gonna... <laughs> right. When they get a bone. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, when are they going to kiss? Um, and, they're not. And then <laughs> they're not. And then, yeah. so then my friend was like, so you liked Hunger Games. How about? Twilight and I was like because she was like this is only about them kissing and I was like okay and because I was like a bit older than the Twilight craze like the demographic when Twilight was big so the first time I read Twilight I was like in my mid-20s I was a fucking maniac I read Twilight like four times in a row it was unhealthy well Twilight is like give me give me all the candy yes from Twilight I really got into like a lot of YA romance and then I can't remember how I even did it, but I was like literally just at the bookstore one day looking for some YA romance, couldn't find anything. And then I like thought to myself like, well, you could just look for romance in the romance section. And why didn't that occur to you earlier? I think like probably there was probably some internalized misogyny going on. Like just like, you don't like read romances for you know, insert some stereotype here that I'm not even going to repeat because it's <laughs> stupid. But yeah, I think there was like a lot of that. I do remember one time I had like downloaded an, a romance audiobook from the library. Like after I had sort of like wet my whistle with some romance, I was like going to the library and one of the the romances that I downloaded was like a very like traditional Western romance. And it was like the guy on the cover in his cowboy hat and he had his shirt off. And I was telling my friend about it and I was like, showed her the cover. And I remember being so like, this is what the cover of the audiobook looks like. And is she going to judge me? And she, she like, you know, didn't, which was great. But I was yeah. just like, I could feel that sort of like, I didn't have anyone else around me who read romance. I didn't have anyone else. The tension. Yeah. So I didn't know. I didn't have Romancelandia yet. I hadn't found it yet. So I just kind of like came to it because I wasn't getting enough romance in my YA contemporary. And by enough romance, I mean, they weren't having sex for reasons. Yeah, they weren't doing it. For yeah. reasons. <laughs> I understand. They're writing teenagers. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. 
I do feel like actually this happened to me too because I didn't know how to find romance at all Mm -hmm. because you're right it would never have occurred to me early on to just go down the like romance aisle because I would have been so ashamed to do that Mm -hmm. and because too like were you an English major I was a history major okay history art history very close yes basically Basically the the same same thing thing, right yeah Yeah. (laughs) right so you're like that's not how I identify like I I read literary fiction or whatever the fuck it's the classic yeah but like YA is fine because that becomes very commercialized yeah. and like everybody knows it. I feel like you're describing a story that many of us know very okay, well. Cool. <laughs> but what was it? So after you got that cowboy romance, what happened? Um. Oh my God. I was, it was like my, the top of my brain opened or top of my head opened up and my brain was just like sparkle magic. Cause it was like, there's <laughs> sex in these books. And I was just so excited. And again, I was unemployed and I read like 200 books that year. I'm trying to think of like the formative ones. Sylvia Day's Crossfire series. So it's like fanfic of Fifty Shades, which is fanfic of, of Twilight. Sure. So you can sure. see why I liked it. Um, you know, I, I read that. I'm like looking at my my bookshelf right now. I actually read um, Emma Chase. I read Emma Chase's Tangled. That series, um, Jennifer L. Armentrout was writing like more like new adult stuff. I was reading that then. Eventually found Christina Lawrence, like the Christina Lawrence Beautiful Bastard series. And then Wild Season Remains. I would probably enter a street fight to defend those books because I love them so much. Naturally. Yeah, that's a not totally normal <laughs> thing that people would do. Uh, Samantha Young just really cut my teeth on that, like, kind of new adult uh, into adult romance. To me, it's kind of like one of the heydays of, like, sex and romance because there's, like, a lot of those books about a decade ago, I guess, that they just, like, really crammed like a lot of sex into those books. Mm-hmm. And as if you've read Hawk Poppy, you know that I <laughs> really crammed a lot of sex into that book. As did yeah. I. As did I. <laughs> so it's mm-hmm. like I'm uh that's like you could probably tell that that's what I was reading or that's what was like very formative for me. The idea of characters, couples having sex and enjoying sex. It almost sort of like doing it because for the fun of it outside of like the craft of let's do this to push the story along it just really like I just really love that it feels like very celebratory to me it feels very joyful and I I obviously like I do understand that sometimes we don't need to have a lot of sex in books and you know my next book does not have as many sex scenes but it's just great I just love it it just makes me happy so you were reading these romances and then what sparked you into writing? Were you always writing and this just transitioned? As a kid, I was writing. I, if you have followed me on Instagram or Twitter, you might've seen me mention that I am a former, I'm a recovering horse girl. Are you a Bojack horseman? No, I, people always ask me that and I don't, I don't know what it means. It's because Bojack, <laughs> And I swear to God, it's because Bojack Horseman is like kind of hot. <laughs> Isn't he a horse? <laughs> like a bipedal He's horse? He's a horse human. He's a horse human voiced by Will Arnett. So like, you know, I stand by that. I stand by that, what I just said. I support you. Um, Thank you. I, I have not seen Bojack Horseman. Okay, you got it. Okay. Come on. <laughs> Get on it. I'm trying to this recover. Is 2022. Okay. Recover as a horse girl. I'm not trying to go back down. Pull you back into the into this void. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. Continue. Yeah, anyways, all of my stories when I was a kid were about horses. Very much about you know the girl getting the horse, the girl <laughs> winning the competition. Do you know Bob's? Wait, I'm sorry. I have to interrupt you again. You know Bob's Burgers, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. Tina is like obsessed with horses, and she has like a weird like fetish with horses. <laughs> oh, come on! Like, does Tina, Tina love black... Bojack Horseman? Is there like crossover? Well, Tina is like, Tina is like, if Bojack Horseman was like in another universe, they would be in like a romance together. Like, that's. What... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. The way you're describing it is exactly Tina. 
Asperger's I mean, and I probably can't. I'm so is. sorry you don't. It's probably she has like a a horse figurine that she named Jericho. And it's like she's in love with it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I never interrupt like this. Please continue. <laughs> so, um, yeah. The girl always gets the horse, the of course. always gets the horse in the end. Um, and then, uh, again, sort of like following my like reading journey, I stopped writing stories when you know like school boys like real horses came into my life so I just stopped doing those things but then that relatable (laughs) and then um but then yeah it just turns out like again when I was um finished grad school I was like either unemployed or underemployed and reading books like all the time and like I don't want to say it was like I was reading a book and thinking like oh I could do this better like it's not it was not like a shade to that author it was like a they told a story that I loved and now it's over and I also didn't I don't know fan fiction I didn't even know fan fiction was a thing I didn't know it existed I didn't know it was an option so really it was my own form I'm not saying I invented fan fiction, but I invented Ruby fan fiction, like fan fiction for myself, you know, sure. like when I would find like this, a book about, uh, you know, enemies to lovers. And then I was like, Oh, I want that dynamic back. I want that tension back. And then I would just start thinking of it, like creating that myself in my brain. And then that's essentially like how I started writing was because I loved these tropes and like these these character archetypes so much that I was just like, I need more of it. I want more of it. And what better way to saturate my life with that than just do it myself. No one's going to deliver it better than yourself. Exactly. I can give myself what I need. Formative things. Now that we're speaking about them, like that, the moment when you're reading like 200 books a year, that is like enough fuel to start any writer. I think so much to draw from and probably your brain is like, putting points together without you even knowing. That's exactly what it feels like. It's like stories are happening in your mind and you don't even know it. (laughs) So when you first put pen to the page for a romance novel, what did that feel like? Very joyful. And then almost immediately very terrifying because like (laughs) once I got that, like, you know, it would start with like a scene and I don't know if you or other writers sort of feel this way, but like usually when a story comes to me, it comes with like one scene and I'll like very clearly have that scene in my head. So once I got that scene down, I was like, okay, that was like only like 2000 words. Now what? You're like, that's not a book. (laughs) Shit. You're like, this is going to be a long day. (laughs) Like something has to happen next. It would feel like that. It would feel like moments of joy and then (laughs) fear, terror, and then joy again. But it's like such an addictive emotional feeling of like, crafting this story from nothing creativity is withholding in my opinion and that's why we all want to please it so badly (laughs) yes absolutely like how did you learn to write a book then a lot of error trial and error a lot of it for me like you know obviously didn't really have any formal training I, I knew how to write in an academic sense from getting my master's degree and in in history and whatnot but obviously that's not that is not the same as you know, a narrative uh, romance storytelling. So yeah, there was a lot of trial and error. And like, so I started writing in around 2012, I started writing a book and then I stopped and because a new idea had come to me. And so I stopped and I started writing this new book and it was a contemporary and the the book I had been working on was, was more like sci-fi romance. And then Mm -hmm. this Mm -hmm. new one was a contemporary and I think it was like a hundred thousand plus words by the end because I had oh, no man. idea of genre conventions. And I was just yeah, like, sure, sure, this is like a story. Like I understood that there needed to be conflict, but I didn't know that I was supposed to be ramping that conflict up. It was just like a bun- a lot of scenes where the same conflict is present the whole time. Just exhausting your reader. Yes, absolutely. Um, and then like eventually, finally we get to like this, like, Bam. Okay. Conflict. And then I didn't really know how to like, because I hadn't been, you know, obviously like developing character up until that point, I didn't really know how to like break them down and then push them back together sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah, like that first book, 
will probably never see the light of day ever because it <laughs> but like I, I I it's terrible but I'm also like I'm very very grateful for it because I feel like I learned a lot about that and then after that what I, that's when I really started like following all these agents on Twitter reading more about like how do we tell a story paying attention when I'm like watching movies right. of like what are they doing specifically and then I didn't really get into like reading craft books even until closer until I was probably in pitch wars and then I was like okay everybody else is reading, reading craft books like I should also do that too like <laughs> you're like I have to be strategic about yes this. yeah like, get on my shit. yeah they're getting they're getting like much better than me so I need to like do good it was a lot of trial and error and a lot of learning anecdotally like learning from like you know like reading through you know, a lot of people have um, that 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 agent who did did the 100 queries. Like a lot of people have said, like those types of things on Twitter are actually kind of mean. And I agree that they can. They're not like a great feeling to like the person who's queried can recognize their book and see that it's been rejected or whatever. But I also learned a ton about like like the immediacy of stories and what mm-hmm, you need mm-hmm. to make a story consumable especially for market from from that kind of thing so it was really like a lot of research and a lot of mistakes so many mistakes mistakes. are are made so many mistakes are made during writing (laughs) yes now what craft books do you stick by do you stick by any i don't know if i'm being controversial (laughs) oh be controversial about craft books i have friends who swear by certain craft books and i have not yet found one that i love um, or even like that much. Probably every craft book I've read, I have one thing that I would take from it other than Romancing the Beat by Gwen Hayes. So Romancing the Beat by Gwen Hayes, I have, I reference it almost every time I'm starting a new story. But even then, and I say this all the time, I said this to Kendall, my, my and Rosie's Pitch Wars mentee this year. And I've said this to like a couple just like writing friends when we've been discussing plots and stuff like so romancing the beat by Gwen Hayes obviously like kind of like sets out for you like every beat that you want to see hit in a romance novel yes we have to under it's sort of like we have to understand the rules but we can still break the rules but you have to understand them first and so I wouldn't even say that like do I do I think that if you wrote a romance novel based exactly on Gwen Hayes's beats that it would be a good book absolutely it would does it work for me no so I don't, mm. I take what I need from that. I take what I need from like Story Genius by Lisa That's a popular Rome, one. Yeah. I think. Really the, yeah, really the only thing I liked from that was the concept of like a misbelief and how you mm-hmm. have this misbelief. And then, because I think that's something that like we have as people, but you know, a lot of the other stuff, I was just like, nope, doesn't work for me. Save the cat. That's mine. <laughs> yeah, save the cat. I was like, I like this save the cat moment, but for a lot of the rest of the the like the stuff in there, I was just like, it's it's not working for me. So essentially, like, I read a craft book, I take what I like from it, and then I leave the rest. What's funny about books is that you just know when they're working. Mm-hmm. Like even when you're writing them, mm-hmm. you're just like, I just can feel that this is working, and. And at some point, I think it does become intuitive. And and at some point also, you cannot find any intuition if you want it to. Like, that also happens. It is about finding yourself in your own path when you write. Writing is personal. Having said that, you do, it sounds like you did really study the market and, like, how mm-hmm. to get your book out there and the way to tell a story. So you have, like, understandings of structural elements mm-hmm. of how to write. But maybe you're just not using whatever these books that everybody thinks that we should use. Yeah, I I would say that's probably accurate. I would also say too, like, I have not, like, a lot of times I see authors and I'm super jealous of them because they talk about how they write a book, you know, and they could do like a Patreon, they could offer a course or something about, here's how I write a book. And so that you can like- Is that a scam? I don't, I don't know because I've never <laughs> written a book the same way. Every single book I've written has been different. And I think that again, maybe is why a lot of craft books don't work for me because they're asking you to do something if, if you follow the, you know, the letter of the law in the book. 
um, they're asking me to do something the same way every time. And I used to think that it was because of like my own personal circumstances. Like the first book, first two books I wrote, I didn't have a kid or like first one and a half books I wrote, I didn't have a kid. And then one of them I was writing while I was pregnant. And then the rest of them I wrote after I was had a child and like having her at different ages. And like, then my, my day job career changed and took off. And so like the way that I was able to write a book changed, like physically able to write a book changed. But mm-hmm. now I, and I think that was a factor, but I think that a lot of it also just has to do with the way my brain works and my brain mm-hmm. doesn't work that way. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Each, every time is going to be a new adventure. Here's a question I have for you. How do you handle, this is a very TikTok question, okay. like the, the horrible event of being perceived by other people <laughs> since they're reading your creative work and they can see who you are online. How do I handle being perceived? You know? Um, okay. So in terms of when they read my work, I do not, I do not perceive them perceiving me. I don't right. read. Me. I wouldn't either. Yes. Yeah. So when Hot Copy first came out, I read like a couple reviews. And if you are going to read reviews, I would highly suggest doing it with a friend who is reading it to you, who has also read your book and who you know is a fan of your book. Okay. Those are the criteria because um, Rosie. This already sounds way scary. <laughs> Just like already. So Rosie Dannon and I were on the phone and she read me. It wasn't even a bad review. It was a three-star review. Um, Ooh, that, that's it's, tough. Though. I mean, like, it's okay. Because it's, it's like they meant well. Yeah, yeah. They don't work out. <laughs> right, right. So, like, she read, the, she read it for me. And if I had just been reading it myself, obviously my brain would have been going, like, you suck. You're terrible. She's right. Of course you couldn't pull this off. Like, blah, blah, blah. But having Rosie read it and then having her immediately say, it sounds like this just wasn't the book for her. It sounds like she <laughs> didn't get it. It's, mm-hmm. And which is totally fine. She is, this reader was allowed to not get it. It was allowed to not be the book for her. Um, but like having that external voice for me was incredibly helpful in like not internalizing that. And then kind of after that, I was like, never, I'm never reading reviews. I almost never go on Goodreads anymore just to avoid anything to do with that. I had to go on Goodreads recently to like look at how many ads the romance recipe has. And I was like trying to like, like not look only see parts of my screen <laughs> I would be exactly like that so that is that's how I handle that how do I deal with people perceiving me on the internet <laughs> listen this is hard I, I some people are much better about that like some people are much more comfortable with this yeah. than I think other people are I am very uncomfortable with it with like being on the internet just anyone kind of which is funny because I do a podcast and like people listen and people yeah. will message me. And I'm just like, I can't even believe you want to talk to me. But still, even a small little podcast, you are being listened yeah. to, you know, is yeah. someone sees you. Um, so kind of what I do with that, and it, I think it makes me sound like I have a lot more confidence than I do. I just want you to know that <laughs> my self-esteem is in the toilet, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I honestly just treat a lot of social media, I guess sort of like it's Snapchat in a way, like it's up there and then I don't care. Like, and I was obviously not the case because it's not Snapchat, it's Instagram or it's Twitter and it's there. And it's there forever. It's there forever, (laughs) as my mother loves to remind me. But look, you have to live here in this world. Exactly. One other thing that's been really hard at first was like, I always felt like I was being like an imposition on people, like talking about myself, like talking about my book, posting, like, I like, if you follow my Instagram, like I post a lot about lifting weights and like my PRs and stuff. And maybe it's the confidence I've gained from lifting weights that has made it easier for me to like put that stuff up on Instagram. But it just kind of got to a point where I was like, well, all of these influencers do it. And they like literally that's their job and this isn't even my job so like I could probably just put it up and not care and like that's Mm -hmm. you know again I don't want to make it seem like I don't care what people think because I do (laughs) we all do I guess I try to approach it I guess in the same way as reviews like it's not for me anymore I put it up there and now it's for the person who's consuming it and if they want to keep following me 
they that's awesome and if they don't they didn't get it it wasn't the right yeah. instagram page for them do you follow inspired to write no should i oh my god yes <laughs> okay yes well it's she speaks a lot to what you're talking okay. about which is essentially like well, one, of course, as a writer, like your art doesn't belong to you. Right. Once you've put it out there, it's gone. We all know that, right? Mm -hmm. It's hard, but and, and it's true, but it's gone. The other thing is she will say, and this has helped me. She will say like, why are you withholding from the world? Mm -hmm. You owe the world your art and like your voice. Mm -hmm. And who told you that you weren't worth listening to right. or that you weren't allowed to take up space in, in, by the way, there is infinite An space. Infinite. It's <laughs> unfathomable how right. infinite the space right. is. Yeah. Right. And like, and I'm sure, you know, you have been published for a while now. You have books out there. I'm sure you have spoken to a lot of people in a lot of different ways that you don't even know at this point mm -hmm. because of your work that's out there. So it's basically like you have an obligation to the world to be out there. And that is literally the only reason why I have not deleted every <laughs> single like social media account. I have. Not that I think I have some high and mighty like precious calling. It's not even that it's like much lower mm -hmm. than that. It's more like if I don't do this, I feel empty inside and I need just like a drop of feeling to, to keep going in this fucking <laughs> yeah. like terrible world. Right. This is the moment where I start talking about capitalism, no big deal. And <laughs> always happens every time. So it's like, be true to your art and like, fuck it. And like, yeah, you're going to fuck up and people are going to not like you. And maybe, and this is the other thing somebody said to me once, being likable and agreeable is a, is a tool of the oppressor yes. every time. Yes. And that's always true because who also taught you that everyone has to like you or right. that you need to please people or you should be quieter. Yeah. Like I said on um, a previous podcast, I actually cried on a professional phone call recently. Mm -hmm. Been there. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> so I had never, right? Like I'm kind of someone who always had my, like my feelings mm -hmm. kind of took pride in that, right? Like having my feelings together, mm -hmm. which is a silly thing to even like take pride in, but we're trained to yes. feel that way. Yeah. And then my dog died and I was like, all these feelings are like right at my neck. And so I was already upset about something. I get on this phone call and I'm just like, my, my partner was like, do not say all the things you want to say. And then as soon as I open my mouth, all the things that he said, told me not to say came right out. And you know what? I got what I wanted. Yeah. <laughs> so sometimes it maybe works. you got to break a few eggs. Maybe people don't like you. Maybe people say we don't like her after this, but did you get what you wanted in the world? Mm -hmm. Did you go after it or did you shut up? <laughs> And did you make yourself small? You know exactly. what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. No, I. This was my therapy session. Thank you so much, welcome. therapist. For... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See you next week. No, but you're exactly right. Like, who told us to be quiet? It, like, not just on Instagram or Twitter. Who told us not that our stories don't matter? Um, mm -hmm. And how dare we listen to them? Like, right. That was on us. And you know, that's our bad. That's our bad. But we're not bad anymore. <laughs> we got it. Mostly. We're trying. Yeah, we're, we're doing our best. best. We're doing our best. <laughs> <laughs> Do what we can. It also reminds me of this thing that I read, and this is a deep, deep cut, and I will not have uh, a source for this okay. whatsoever. So just believe me. I believe you. That I saw – do you remember, like, the site Exo Jane back in the day? Yes. Yes. Okay. So that was all, like, women writing confessionals, yes. right? Like, uh, it happened to me. I – my gynecologist found a cat hairball in my vagina, right? Like, like that yes. – that was what it was. So I remember at the time, I had never even written anything really when that was kind of in its heyday. I was just, but I wanted to, like I'd always wanted to write. And I saw this article that some fucking guy wrote about these confessional essays where he was like, why are women selling themselves short and putting their shit out there in these like lowbrow shitty essays? Why would women do such a thing? And I remember being like, oh my God, I wanted to write like a confessional essay. That's like all I have to give to the yeah. world. <laughs> like that's what I felt like, right? And then I felt like so ashamed for being so lowbrow and not smart and whatever. And it's just so funny because now I look back at it and if I could talk to myself then, yeah. I would be like, fuck this fucker. Like, what is he? Yeah. Who even gave him this platform? Yeah. Like, go take your spit. Like, you know what I mean? You Now you have to do it because you have to piss this guy off more. Like, yeah. it has to exist. If anyone finds that article, <laughs> send it to me. <laughs> Let me ask you another craft question. Okay. I promise it will not keep you forever. No worries. Um, I'm having the best time. Oh, great. Um, how do you handle writer's block? 
What's going on? Okay, writer's block. First thing I do is I like get up and so I'm sitting there and I'm like, what's next? I don't know. I get up and I like do the dishes. Uh, okay, that's not gonna happen here. But okay. <laughs> flip the laundry, like just something like that, um, and almost immediately it will come to me, and then I mm. go back, write it. Movement then. Yes. If that doesn't work, then what I'm probably going to do is take a longer break where I'm going back thinking about what got me there. Um, and that's usually when I start like talking to CPs like Rosie Dannon, Meryl Wilsner, like my two closest friends. So I'm almost always like, we're all like in each other's DMs. Like, what are we doing? What are we doing next? So going there, going to brainstorm, trying to think about like, who is my character? What do they want? what about this scene is keeping them from getting that thing or getting them that thing? Like, what? like just really going back to the, the nitty gritty of craft and like, what, like, what are the sort of like variables here that we need to insert into this equation? Um, and if that's not working, then it's like, I'm usually like, okay, I've got that somewhere. So. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, that's always what mine is like. I'm always like, oh shit, it's missing everything. <laughs> um and yeah so that I that I have to start then I'll usually have to like go back to the beginning and like uh like I said like I'm not using like romancing the beat like religiously but like I might start getting out the cue cards and being like are we missing Mm. beats here it's are we not spending enough time on something like that kind of thing um so are you outlining actively um so what I do and again this is like because I've never really written my book the same way. It's kind of like a new practice, but it's the one that's been working for me. So I didn't outline hot copy and I didn't outline um, the book I wrote after hot copy. But then when I was revising the book I wrote after hot copy, and I'm not naming it just because it's not going to be published anytime, like that I know of anytime. So I just don't want to like talk about, like give readers names for it. Um, sure. Whatever you can talk about. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so when I was revising that book and the book that I'm working on now that I originally started in 2012, I used beats. I used romancing the beat for those two books to revise those two books. Um, just like, I guess essentially to reverse outline. Right. right? And just be like, okay, right. what do I have here? What am I missing? Mm-hmm. Um, and that like kind of worked, but it, it didn't work when I wasn't doing it the reverse way. I really found myself like if I'm not able to like get super immersive, then it becomes hard to think of what's coming next. And Mm -hmm. I'm saying that with the caveat that I think, I think um, with time that skill will come for me because as I'm about to tell you the next, what I, the next iteration of that is almost doing that. So essentially what I do now is, um, when we uh, pitched the romance recipe, we had uh, we had actually pitched three a three book series or a three book extension of hot copy, and um, for various sort of like convoluted reasons that I won't get into, we Karina bought the romance recipe. But what I had done was I had written three synopses for the three different books, and then you know they bought the romance recipe, and then we're sitting on the other two, and then we'll we're repitch them and hopefully something comes of that um but then there was a second book series that i was working on that i'm currently on sub with right now where we were essentially like i wrote about 120 pages of the first book and then wrote obviously a synopsis for that but then to pitch it as a series obviously you know because our intention was to like make this um write something like more that's more to market than say like hot copy mm-hmm. was um but like pitch it as a series so we again had to like write these the synopsis for the next two books and that's the thing that I'm finding is like working really well for me is like ah. giving myself the opportunity to write a bit of the book that exists so even if it's just the one scene where I'm like okay 2000 right. it's done but then having the synopsis and Obviously, there's multiple drafts of that. And I'm also, you know, very lucky to work with uh, an agent who is like, she's incredibly editorial. Um, So having her to like bounce ideas off of is always incredibly helpful. But that's the process that I've been doing in the last like 
year-ish mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. has been um, working for me. So to all that to say, I think maybe eventually I kind of go into the outline place where I'm like, you know, have my cue cards and like putting everything out beforehand. But if I don't, that's okay too. It's just... Yeah, the synopsis, the synopsis, like writing a synopsis to me, what I've, and I'm not saying I'm like great at it or whatever, but like what I have realized is what you essentially have to write are the main beats of your story. That's all synopsis is. So if you know that, you know, you're, so you know, the direction you're heading in your story, you've got yourself a place to go. And that's a good starting point for a lot of people, I think. Um, So it sounds like maybe you're a loose, that's almost like an outline yes, in the, in the weirdest like, way. It's like, yeah, exactly. It's like probably my own thing is like, when I think of outlining, I think of like doing it in a very specific way. Probably the way mm-hmm. that I've seen all of these authors who I know outline. Yeah, Roman numerals. Who are like doing it that way. I'm like, well, mine doesn't look like that. So that's not what that is. But I, I'm planning, I'm planning my book out before I draft it. Yeah. So right. that's all we need to know. <laughs> you said something interesting too that I want to touch on, which is like, I'm not there yet as a writer, but someday, like, I will be in this other place as a writer. And I think we don't really talk about this for some reason, that, like, where you start as a writer is, in each book, is not where you'll end up. Mm -hmm. Like, and I'm sure you look at hot copy now, and you're like, oh, my God, I'm a totally different person than whoever wrote that. Even already, like, hot copy sort of feels like the friend that you had that you're not really friends with anymore. Yeah. And I I love, you know, I have nothing but, like, love. For them but it's like it's I'm in a different like you said like I'm in a different place as a writer so it's just like a different a different approach I come at the book differently now it has been like an hour you've been right. so great talking do you want to like touch on anything we didn't talk about yet like anything about your new stuff coming out and we can definitely give all your socials and your plugs the romance recipe comes out you know June 28th it's a sapphic story and Ooh, um, I didn't, oh I think I did know this yeah I did know so the sapphic that's exciting yes so Amy who is in who is, is Wes's sister in hot copy this is yes. her story so Amy owns a restaurant and she has a thing for her head chef who she thinks is straight and her head chef is actually also has a thing for Amy but she's very newly bisexual. She like just realized she was bisexual kind of because of Amy. So she an awakening one might say. Exactly. So she's um, grappling with that. And they are also trying to save the restaurant from going under. Oh boy. Um, Tropey trope. trope. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Who doesn't love that? And I also have a, um, an erotic short, story like very short story it's like a thousand words in the big book of orgasms volume two it's coming out on february 8th by Kleist press and um that was like a joy to work on but cw's for that it does deal with it or has mentions of pregnancy loss and miscarriage so you know go into that with you know eyes wide open everybody and then yeah, I guess I can't really talk about any <laughs> projects yet. That's okay. <laughs> but you can plug, like, where can we find you on social media? So on Twitter, you can, I'm reading it off my phone because I never remember. <laughs> Even though it's like the same handle, but it's spelled slightly differently. So you can find me on Twitter at, at Ruby Barrett with one T, right. So and two R's. Two R's, one T, right this way or you can find me on instagram at ruby barrett two t's right oh my god just how dare you just how fucking dare you do this (laughs) just to really fuck you up and then um you can also i've decided finally that i'm gonna try to tiktok so you can find me on tiktok at ruby b rubes thank you i'm doing my best (laughs) it's not been super but but definitely follow her on tiktok yeah. definitely <laughs> definitely my my persona on tiktok is less about like my books and more about writing so like i try i'm trying yeah. to like talk to people about writing and self-doubt and the process and and that kind of stuff well that's our brand here Perfect. exactly so yeah it's not it's not all it's not all 
promotional. Not that there's anything wrong with promo. If you just want to promo on your TikTok, then go for it. Do what speaks to you. I mean, nothing speaks to me right now. <laughs> That's the worst part when you're in like an empty yeah, emptiness empty. of nothing. Yes. This has been really cool talking to you. I am so sorry Beatrix wasn't here. I know she's sad that she missed out. I hope that she's feeling better. I know. But yes, definitely check out Ruby and follow her on all her accounts. Check out Hot Copy and her new stuff that's going to be coming out, which I'm sure you'll be posting about so everyone will be able to see. I'm going to do our plugs really quick. You're going to have to listen to me do it. Go for it. Uh, If you you liked us and you like romance and you want to follow us, you can find us at Tall Dark Fictional. That's Tall Dark Fictional with no and on Instagram. And you can also find us on Twitter. And much like Ruby, we decided to say fuck you and get not matching handles <laughs> at TDF Pod. That's it. And then, like, what we do now is we just like drop some music in. Listen to what I said